The, uh, the title of my message this morning is Sacrificing Your Future for the Pleasure of the Moment. Sacrificing my future for the pleasure of the moment. It would be probably an understatement to say today that we live in what would be known as the instant generation, the now generation, pretty well what I want I can get without having to wait for it. The whole idea of delayed gratification is an experience that not many of us have today. Whatever I want, whatever I desire, whatever I long for, whatever I think I need, I can pretty much get. It's it's pretty well today at my fingertips. In some cases, that's a good thing. But in many cases, it's a dangerous thing. There are some things in life, though easy to get, will destroy us spiritually. There are some things in life that we should not have. There are some things in life that if we were to take a hold of or embrace or partake of or participate in, they will spiritually destroy us. British comedian Russell Brand, you may or may not have heard of him. Um, I'm not putting an approval on this man's job. But British comedian Russell Brand, reflecting on the dramatic shift in the access to pornography today, Compared to when he was a teenager, which isn't all that long ago, said how inconceivable it is that today we have, and I quote, icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi. What it must be like to be an adolescent boy now with this kind of access to porn must be dizzying and exciting, but corrupting in a way that we cannot even think about. There are many things in life today that we should not have. Even though they are readily available, even though they are easily accessible, there are some things in life that we should not have because spiritually they will destroy us. But if we really want it, we can get it. That's a dangerous place for us to be. That's the precarious, frightening world that many of us or all of us actually live in today. You know, it's interesting, whenever the devil tempts us, he never reveals the hidden barbs behind what it is that he's enticing us to have. He never, he never reveals the price that what he is offering will ultimately come at. He never exposes the, the consequences, if you like, of what we choose to embrace or what we choose to look at or what we choose to taste of. He, he, never, he never focuses our attention upon the price tag that what he is offering will actually come with. He focuses upon the joy of the moment. He focuses upon the pleasure of the moment, of the satisfaction 
that the moment will bring, the relief that the moment will bring, the contentment, the sense of, of pain relief, if you like, that the moment will bring. He never, he never focuses upon the price tag of what He's offering us. And our, our passage of Scripture today is an example of a person who paid a very high price. He wanted something, he got it, and he paid a tremendous price. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 24 says, When the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth, covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, Esau said, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal. He then got up and left. And from that day on, he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. The birthright in the Hebrew family, we don't understand what it really meant. In our culture, in our society, we don't understand a lot of things that the Bible puts value on. There are some things that we think, what was the big deal? Who cares? It's because we, we see it through the lens or the binoculars of our culture and what happens in our society. But back in the days of the Hebrews, the birthright carried incredible value. To be the firstborn in the home meant that you inherited most, if not all, of your father's possessions. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, as many of you would know, were incredibly wealthy men. And they had an incredible amount of asset, an incredible amount of wealth. And, and to be the firstborn, as Esau was, meant that he would get everything that his father owned. He would receive the mantle of authority as the head of the family. That is not something we take seriously in our culture because we don't tend to operate that way. But back in Hebrew times, back in the days when Esau sold his birthright, he was giving up something that, that one day he would later incredibly regret. The birthright for the firstborn was a, a valuable possession. 
and one that was to be highly respected, but for the pleasure of the moment. Esau gave up his future. For the pleasure of the moment, Esau sacrificed his God-given destiny. Have you ever in your life made a decision, made a choice, where later you have regretted it to the point where you've thought, if only I had thought that through. If only I had just weighed up the consequences of that decision back there, of taking that right-hand turn back there. If only I had just stayed on the path that I was on and not detoured the way that I did. At the time, I, I, I was not in a good place and I just... I just made a decision that if I had my time over again, I would, I would have weighed up the consequences and I probably would have just taken the pain of the moment rather than sacrifice my future for the pleasure of the relief of the moment. Have you ever made a decision in your life where you've, you've wondered, if only I had done things differently, how would have things turned out for me? When are we in danger of sacrificing our future? For the pleasure of the moment. Well, I think firstly, it's when we carelessly disregard God's ordained values in life. When we flippantly disregard God's established values, standards for living in life. Do do we read our Bibles for what it actually says today or Are we guilty of reading our Bibles for what we want it to say? Do we go looking for what we want the Bible to give us? Or do we go looking for the counsel of God that ultimately will steer us, perhaps not instantly, perhaps not immediately, perhaps not the now culture that we're so accustomed to. Perhaps we won't get the breakthrough that we want and we want it now and I want it and I deserve it now. Do we go looking for what God would have us do to walk out of this hole, to walk out of this valley, to walk out of these circumstances, to actually grow in the way that He wants us to grow? Do we do we read our Bible today, as Pastor Denny said from this platform in Heartbeat a few weeks ago, do we read it as a non-negotiable or do we read it simply as a devotional looking for a feel good? Are we we sacrificing our future for the pleasure of the moment because we're flippantly and carelessly disregarding God's values in life? Let's, Let's look basically at the Ten Commandments. Really, they were given as our our guide for living, our our guide for success, our guide for fruitfulness. And and God, when He gave us the Ten Commandments, He said, these are just basic, simple, common sense values for life. Do not steal. There are consequences. And I think stealing happens in all kinds of forms in our life today. And I think one of the the ways that we tend to do that perhaps is a little bit of cheating on our tax return. You say, oh, well, nobody would ever know. But God knows. And the Bible tells us very, very clearly in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, do not be deceived. Do do not fool yourself. In other words, Paul is saying, God is not mocked. He will not allow us to thumb our nose at his values and worship him at the same time. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, 
that he will also reap. Listen to me, we will reap what we sow. We will reap more than we sow. And we will reap later than we sow. You might think, well, I got away with that. Did you? I might think I got away with that, did I? Did I actually get away with that? You see, stealing can take on many kinds of forms. We, we can steal all kinds of things in life today and, and think that it's okay. But God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that would he also reap. Do not, do not commit murder. Do not kill. There are consequences. Be nice to each other. Don't, don't tell lies. Do not bear false witness is what some translations say. There will be consequences. Live a transparent life, an open life. Don't dishonour your father and your mother. It's frightening today. The amount of dishonour that is expressed towards parents. You might not agree with your parents. You don't have to. You might not want to follow their lifestyle. You don't have to. But the Bible calls us to give honour where honour is due and we need to honour our parents. And the Bible says when we don't, there are consequences. But when we do, we will live long on the earth. I wonder whether some of the ailments we face in our bodies, in our minds, in our emotions today are simply out of the root of dishonour when it comes to those in authority over our life. Don't commit adultery. There will be consequences. They're basic values in life that God is saying, if you will just apply these to your everyday living, you will live successfully in life. But we sabotage our future when we, when we actually disregard carelessly God's ordained values in life. Somewhere in our future, we will face detrimental circumstances when we carelessly disregard God's values in life. I'm very careful how I say this because I appreciate there are differing views even in this room right now. But when the yes vote got up at 10am last Sunday, uh, Wednesday morning, I watched it live on television. I felt in my heart, what consequences will this bring to our nation? Because God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. Whatever our nation sows, that will our nation also reap. Now, I don't want to debate and argue whether God created homosexuals the way they are or not. I have my views and I trust you respect those as I respect yours. But I felt in my heart, at what price will this come at? What price will this bring? You know, when you consider Proverbs 14 verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. We, we sabotage our future for the pleasure of the moment when we, we carelessly disregard God's basic values in life. I, 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 I want to challenge you as a church. Let's stay in the Word. Let's keep our heart in the Word. Let's not go looking for what God wants us to. Uh, let's not go looking for what we want to have, but for what God wants us to have. You know, our question shouldn't be what I want, but God, what do you want me to have? And what, when do you want me to have it? You know, we need to be people who are uh, seeking the face of God and hungering for the Word. James says, why are there fights and squabbles among you? Why is there division among you? Why are there challenges among you? And, and this isn't in my notes. So Bennett, uh, Nelson, you don't have any of these scriptures. But, but James says, why are there fights and squabbles among you? He said, the reason there are is because you want something that you don't have and you fight and steal and squabble to get it. 
You cut corners to get it. You want what you don't have and so you kill and you murder. And, you know, killing isn't just necessarily physical killing. Killing, killing can be, it can be killing someone's reputation, killing somebody's character, assassinating someone's good nature. You, you have, you want something, but you haven't got it. So you fight and squabble to get it. And then when you, 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 you get it, you use it for the wrong reasons. And then James goes on and he says this amazing thing. He says, he says, you want this, you don't have it. So you fight and kill to get it. You don't have it because you don't ask. If you just ask God, he would bring it. But then when you do ask, you still don't get it because you ask with the wrong motives. We ask because it's the, the now generation. It's the instant generation. I want what I want and I want it now. I just want to feel good now. And I, I come to church because I want God to make me feel good now. I want God to just touch me now. I want God to give me a blessing now. I want God to take away the pain now. And I, I understand that because there's so much pain in our world. But if we would just come to that place of surrender to Him and say, God, I'm just going to follow Your Word. I'm going to apply Your principles, Your basic principles for living to my life. He will start to turn your life around and you will live a life of constant overcoming of the pains of life, constant victory over the storms of life, constant breakthroughs over the attacks that the enemy bring into our life. We, we sacrifice our future when we carelessly disregard God's ordained values for life. We, we sacrifice our future for the pleasure of the moment when we insist on the immediate fulfilment of our desires. We assist on the immediate satisfaction, the immediate gratification. You know, Scripture is filled with examples of self-destructive behaviour recorded so that we will not make the same mistakes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 12, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So you see, the Old Testament is full of illustrations and examples so that we will learn from them not to make the same mistakes. That's the reason the Old Testament is still available to us today. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 10, these issues, they face them, these setbacks, these disappointments, these sicknesses, these diseases, these, these challenges, they face them as examples for us so that we would look at what they did wrong and not make the same mistake. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snake bites. And we should not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. Paul's saying, look at the lives of those that have gone before for you, people that have even had the hand of God upon their life, people that have carried the anointing, have dripped with the anointing, people who have done great exploits, yet have sabotaged their future for the pleasure of the moment. I think about Samson. If you've ever studied the life of Samson, he was a man set apart from birth. 
The angel of God comes to his mother and father and said he's to be a Nazarite from birth. And I don't have time to go into what that actually means, but a Nazarite was someone who was set apart. They made a certain vow to live a certain lifestyle and Samson was to be a Nazarite. And one of the things that he was not to do, among other things, was that no razor was ever to touch his hair. So I've broken my Nazarite vow from the very outset. But a razor was never to touch his hair. And there was significance behind that. And he became the strongest man who ever lived. He, he could take a lion and pull his jaws apart and devour bears. And he, he, was, he was feared. But yet he had a problem with women. In fact, he had a problem with prostitutes. And he, for the pleasure of the moment, sabotaged his destiny and his future. And because he, he kept tasting of the things that were forbidden to him, he kept touching the things that would ultimately spiritually destroy him because there was pleasure in the touch. There was pleasure in the embrace. I just wonder today how much of our future we are squandering because we've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church rather than draw a line in the sand and say, I belong to Jesus. The, the world behind me, the cross before me, I'm, I'm following Him and my heart is fixed. My eyes are focused and my, my, my determination is is strong. I, I will serve Jesus for the, all the days of my life and not, not look at dabbling into the good things that this world have to offer because ultimately those good things will destroy us spiritually. Samson crossed the line dabbling with this woman Delilah, dancing with Delilah. He was seduced. She said, tell me the secret of your strength. And in that moment of weakness, in that moment of pleasure, in that moment of vulnerability, he eventually revealed the secret and said, if my hair is cut, I will lose my strength. You say, oh, that's supernatural. That's weird. It's like, well, no, it was a principle that was violated. So he cut his hair. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. The magic wasn't in his hair. The magic was in the vow, if you can call it magic. The power was in the vow. He violated the vow. And as a result, the Holy Spirit lifted off him. The enemy came and took him prisoner. How many people are living in prison today because of the pleasure of the moment? How many people like Samson pushing around and around and around that grindstone with his eyes plucked out, unable to see, but stuck in a cycle of addiction, stuck in a cycle of hatred, stuck in a cycle of pain, pushed around and around and around. If only he had stayed the course, forsook the pleasure of the moment for the sake of his future, he wouldn't have paid such a high price. Samson is just one of many, many examples, but I believe his Pushing around that grindstone is a prophetic picture of so many of our lives today. We don't want to wait for God to move. We don't want to wait for God to provide. We want what we want and we want it now. And as a result of that, we satisfy with the temporal and sacrifice the eternal. We sacrifice our future for the pleasure of the moment when we make major, often life-changing decisions 
in moments of physical or emotional weakness, which is exactly what Esau did. You know, what's my birthright mean to me now? I'm starving to death. He wasn't starving to death. He was just hungry. He wasn't going to die. He was just hungry. He could have held off for a couple more days. He could, have, he could have just denied the flesh just a little bit. But you know what it's like when you're hungry? You know, it's like whenever I start a fast, every ad on TV is about food. It's just, and I'm dying on the first day, literally. And I, and I, I know the feeling, but you're not really. You know, it's just your emotions talking. And he was emotional. He'd, he'd been out perhaps for days and maybe he hadn't eaten for days and he was hungry. And, and when you're hungry, the smell of food. I don't know about you. I've walked out of this building Sunday mornings, some weeks, and all you can smell is Raj's around the corner. And it's like, oh, I just want some of that. And there's often red stew in their tray around there too, which is prophetic. So don't go to Raj's today. You know, but Esau... Esau did in a moment of weakness, in a moment of hunger, in a moment of desire. I want what I want and I want it now. I want to feel good now. We can sacrifice our future and we don't care what the price is. We don't, we don't regard the price. We don't think about the price. All we're focused on is what we want. And that's the current precarious and dangerous situation that our world faces today. In moments of weariness, in moments of loneliness, in moments of sadness, in moments of emotional hunger. That's a key word, to emotional hunger. When I just want my emotions satisfied, when I, I want my emotions, I just want to cuddle. But you might get the cuddle from the wrong person. But we're looking for that emotional hunger to be satisfied. We can pretty much get what we want when we want it and it can come at an awful, awful price. You know, I think of the weeks, the months, the years that followed Esau's decision to sell his birthright. You know, it's only two chapters later, we read that he plotted to kill Jacob. It came at an awful price. It cost him dearly and he never got it back. He missed it because he squandered it. You know, many years ago, when I was the assistant pastor here, there was an elderly couple in our church and I won't name them because it's a rather sad story. But there was an elderly couple in our church and they were a wonderful, godly couple. And Margot and I, way back even before when we were just new Christian or I was a new Christian and um, Margot and I were engaged to be married, we were asked to lead a connect group of some of the elderly people in our church. And this couple were in that connect group and, and um, they were a great couple. And if you ever went to their home, the home was immaculate. There was always the smell of fresh cooking. There was always scones being baked in the oven or something being cooked in the oven. And, and the house was just kept in a pristine condition. You'd be invited in, you'd get a cup of tea. Everything was fresh, everything was good. And they were a lovely couple. They loved each other. They were devoted to each other. And, and she got sick. And it was a sickness that ultimately took her life. And I remember standing with him and she's in bed at the Mater Hospital. And, and I remember being there when she breathed her last breath. And, and we walked out together and I prayed with him. And, and he was a sad, sad man that day because he lost his sweetheart. Well, it wasn't very long after he lost his sweetheart that loneliness began to set in. Emotional hunger began to set in. And it saddens me to say this, but he sacrificed his future for the pleasure of a moment. And he went looking for an old flame. A lady that he knew before he ever met his wife. 
a lady that he knew still lived in Newcastle and somehow he was aware of where she lived and he looked her up and said, would you like to get together for a coffee? And, and she was on her own and no doubt she was lonely. You know, the devil can exploit our emotional hunger. He can exploit our loneliness. And when we're looking for what we want and we want it now, rather than, Lord, what do you want me to have and when do you want me to have it? Which is the wisest prayer to pray. He went and he met with this lady and they had coffee and three minutes later they got married. Not quite three minutes, but almost. It was that quick. Within a month or two, they were married. A number of years passed, I'd, I'd heard that he had remarried and, and it was very soon after his wife had died. And, but this lady was someone who didn't know the Lord and wasn't accustomed to church life. I came back here as the assistant pastor some years later and one of my roles was visitation and pastoral care and so I visited him and I've never forgotten the day I walked into that same house. It was a mess. The same house. They hadn't moved. She'd moved in with him. The same house was in a shambles. The kitchen was dirty. He was trying to repair his stove. He was stooped over, not because of age. He was stooped over because he sacrificed his future for the pleasure of a moment. And I've never forgotten. I said to him, I said, where's your wife? He said, she's drunk in bed. And she was. In the middle of the day, she was drunk in bed and he began to cry. Tears rolled down his face. I put him in my car. We drove to a secondhand stove place. We got some parts for his stove that he was trying to fix. And he just poured out his regret, poured out the pain, poured out what a foolish man he said I've been. I was lonely and I thought it would have been great. But for the pleasure of the moment, he sacrificed. Listen to me, folks. We, we reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow. We reap later than we sow. Safest question for a follower of Jesus to ask is what does God want me to have? When does he want me to have it? Let's take a moment to just think about this bowl of stew. What's in your bowl of stew today? You know, if the bowl of stew that you hold in your hand may be very different to the bowl of stew that the person next to you is holding in their hand. What, what is in your bowl of stew? What is, what is tempting you today to sacrifice your future for the pleasure of the moment? What is stopping you from Standing back saying, does God want me to have this stew? Or does he want me to hold off for his timing, for his purpose? What's in our bowl of stew today? So I lifted my fork full of prejudice. Where I can, I can judge the behaviour of others without knowing their story. I can judge the behaviour of those that have wronged me, those that have hurt me, those that are behaving in a way that I would never behave, those that are sinning in a way that I would never sin because my sins are okay, but your sins are not, which is really what prejudice is all about. It's judging somebody else's actions 
without knowing their story, without knowing what has produced the pain, what has produced the action, what has created the behaviour. And I'm not saying we should condone behaviour. What I'm saying is we shouldn't be quick to judge people because of their behaviour. You know, over the years that I've been leading this church, we've had some strange things happen in our services. I don't know if any of you remember the baby oil man. He sat on the front row just over there and it wasn't that long ago. It might have been a year ago, two years ago. I, don't know, I lose track of time. But he came in and he'd taken his shirt off and he began to cover himself in baby oil right there on the front row, dripping all over the seats, the carpet. I think, what, what, what are we going to do? And I remember one of, the, one of the worship leaders, I think it was Dan, was up here playing his guitar and he said, I'm watching him. And I'm thinking, I'm ready to take my guitar off and crash tackle this guy. I thought, you won't hold him. He's like a greased pig. And some of us were wondering, did he grease himself up because he was going to do something and then nobody would be able to get a hold of him because he was so greased up. But it was bizarre. It was out there. And I, I remember in the meet and greet, I, I, I didn't want to go and say hello to him, but I did. I didn't want oil all over me. I, I walked up and I said, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? Nowhere. It was a real gruff, real, it, it, was, it was bizarre. It was out there. But, you know, it could be so quick to just get angry with that. And look, to be honest, at times I do get angry with things like that. I mean, how dare you come in and disrupt the service? How dare you? But, but you know something, it's, it's, there's something broken in a person's life that makes them do it. We, we've had people take their clothes off in church. It's not nice. Look, most of us look better with clothes on. It's like... But we've had some strange things happen in church. And, and it's like you think, dear me, what do we do here? How do, we, do, we, do we just stop this? Do we intervene? What if we intervene and hurt them? What? And you kind of, it's just it's weird and bizarre, but it can be so easy to prejudge what is happening. We've had violent outbursts in church. I think Fred's here. Some, Fred's down the back. Fred's copped, copped a smack in the mouth. One, he's just worshipping Jesus. And this fellow walked past, didn't like him, and just gave him a right hook. Nearly knocked him off his feet. And of course, a few of the guys chased the fellow out the door and there's almost a punch up down in the foyer. But you know, I've never forgotten Fred. After the service, he said, you will let that man come back, won't you? No prejudice in this man. It's like, it's like we, we, can, we can eat our bowl of prejudice today. But you know something? Prejudice comes with a price. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And you will reap more than you sow and you will reap later than you sow. And sometimes we do, we think, well, I, I did that and I got away with it. No, well, you see, years later, you might find it's one of those things. I, I hated growing carrots when I was a kid. I used to grow radishes and lettuce because you could, they grew quick and you'd go in the streets and sell them quick. If you grew carrots, you had to wait longer for your money. So I grew the things that grew fast and then I would sell lettuces without hearts because I'd pull them before they actually developed. And I'd do all that sort of thing. But you see... Sometimes some of the things that we do in life are like the carrots. They take longer to sprout, but somewhere in your future, you will reap what you've sown because God will not be mocked. God will not allow us to thumb our nose at Him and worship Him at the same time. He will not allow us to live like the devil one day and worship Him the next. He wants, he wants faithful hearts. And you know, what, what's in our bowl of stew today? Is it, is it prejudice? Luke chapter 6, verse 37, 38, do not judge others. And you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or, or, you, uh, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will, you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Giving is not talking about money. It's talking about giving forgiveness. 
It's talking about giving condemnation. It's talking about giving judgment. When we're prejudiced, you might not lock the person next to you singing too loud. You can sit next to me, Sandy, anytime you like. I love Sandy. I love her enthusiasm and her exuberance. It's just coming out of a heart that loves Jesus. And, but you might not like that and you can get agitated and you can be prejudiced. But you don't know Sandy's story. The lady's got a lot to be thankful for. You know, if you only just know a little bit behind some people's behaviours. Yeah, we, you know, prejudice. What else is in our bowl of stew? We tempted to pull out a forkload of bitterness. Forkload of bitterness. You know, an angry soul. We, we often foolishly think anger in our soul, unrighteous anger, ungodly anger in our soul will not come with a price. But let me tell you something. It's effects. Anger and bitterness will affect your emotions like nothing else will. It'll bring you undone. It'll, it'll destroy you. It eventually will affect your spouse. Anger and bitterness in your life eventually will affect your kids. It eventually will affect your friends. Believe me, the Bible talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger because it knows the destructive power of anger. But if we are in our bowl today thinking, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be really frustrated and bitter towards the world, towards the people around me, towards those that have wronged me and hurt me. I have a right to be bitter. And we eat of that bowl of stew. You will pay a price because we're letting the sun go down on our anger. And when we let the sun go down on our anger, and the Bible tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger, we can't violate one of God's basic principles and think that we won't reap what we sow more than we sow later than we sow. Anger is like a cancer. It's like an acid in your soul. It will do more damage to you than the people that you are angry at. What are you tempted to eat? I have a right to be angry and I'm going to eat this bowl of anger today. What is it that we are eating today? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That tells me it'll affect my spouse. It tells me it'll affect my kids. It tells me it'll affect my workmates, my colleagues, my neighbours, my family, my friends. It tells me, let's not violate God's basic principles in life. What else is in our bowl today? Let me move quickly. Drugs. I shared a few months ago, you know, about the snake handler. And the snake handler will tell you that, that you rarely get bitten by a snake when you pick it up. Most snake bites happen when you go to put it down. And it's the same with drugs. You take it up, you don't get bitten the first time you use it, the second time you use it, the third time you use it. You just, it's kind of just, you feel good. And I think, yeah, I'm getting away with this. You're not getting away with it. You, you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow and you reap later than you sow. And I have seen over the years, not only within our family, but I've seen it within my church role in ministry and leadership. I have watched people touch drugs and it's ruined their life. They end up gaunt. They end up with their eyes sunken. They end up sick. They end up either overweight or underweight or whatever it is with sores all over their body. They lose their job. They lose their dignity. They lose their, their self-esteem. They lose everything. What's in our bowl of stew? Well, you don't know what the world's done to me. I deserve a hit of drugs. And drugs today, we might think, well, I don't, I don't use illegal drugs. Let me tell you something. Legal drugs can be just as destructive. 
you get prescribed some things that you just can't get off. And then you go looking for things that you can legally get access to and you end up with all kinds of stuff. But we think we've got a right to eat our bowl of stew. We're sacrificing our future for the pleasure of the moment. Fornication and adultery. Two, two violations of God's word. Two sins that we have legitimised today. Our TV screens are flooded with it. You know, you ever stop and think about that passage in Proverbs? There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, even seven. You list off those things, a lying tongue, a deceitful look. You know, it goes on with all these seven things that God hates. We turn our televisions on every night and we're entertained by every one of them. I turn my television on and I'm entertained by it. And sometimes I go to bed thinking, I feel dirty. Why am I being entertained by things that God hates? Why aren't I drawing a line in the sand saying, God, I, I want to serve you and I want to follow you and I want to f- put the world behind me and the cross before me. You know, one night of pleasure may cost you your future far more than you realise. Hatred, I've already talked about hatred, unforgiveness. You know, you and I can never justify unforgiveness. I'm sorry, but we can never justify unforgiveness. Jesus forgave us freely. Freely we have received, he tells us, freely give. He taught us very clearly, he said, we are, if we are to pray according to the will of God, we are to pray, Father, forgive me in the same manner that I forgive those who have sinned against me. You think, I I can't do that. Yes, you can. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens us, we can do all things. He can do a miracle in our heart. He can heal us. He can restore us. He can put love back in our heart. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, not by me. And when I get into the presence of God, forgiveness can flow. Miracles can happen. Supernatural things take place when the Holy Spirit has given access to my heart in that posture of surrender. If I just let Him in, He can change me to the point where I say, I never ever thought I could love them again, but I do. We, we, you and I can never ever justify unforgiveness. Unforgiveness comes at a very high price. Eating that bowl of unforgiveness, I'm just going to eat this unforgiveness. I'm just, I have a right to, un, to hold this grudge. I have a right to hang on to this. Esau ate the bowl of stew to satisfy the moment, but it cost him his future. What are we consuming today? What are we allowing to consume us today that is costing us our future, that is sabotaging the, the hand of God upon our life, that is blocking the anointing from flowing out of us? The anointing that we have received, the Bible says, lives within us. There is an anointing in every one of us. But what is the cork that is blocking it from coming out? Is it hatred? Is it bitterness? Is it sexual sin? Is it, is it immorality? Is it, is it um, unforgiveness? Whatever it is, what, what are we consuming of? Because we just want that, that moment of, of pleasure. And you know, when you get an opportunity for revenge or vengeance, an opportunity to put a knife in and nobody will ever know, when we take that opportunity, it feels good for a moment. And I don't deny that. It feels good, but it is only for a moment because we reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow and we reap later than we sow. We will pay a price if we consume the bowl of stew that is sitting in front of us today. When it comes to unforgiveness and bitterness, many of you have heard me say this before. Unforgiveness and bitterness is like acid. It does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than to the object upon which it is poured. You can spew out unforgiveness and hatred and resentment and all kind, of, you know. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying some of the horrendous things that have happened to some of you. And neither is Jesus. 
but He's a rebuilder of our life. He does not want us to go back looking for revenge. He wants us to leave the matter in His hands. He wants us to let Him rebuild our heart, rebuild our soul, rebuild our emotions. He wants us to let Him bring health and wholeness back into the fullness of our being so that Christ is fully formed within us, that then no weapon formed against me will ever prosper. No one will ever steal my joy. No one will ever steal my peace. What can man do to me, the Bible says, if God is for me? What are you eating from your bowl of stew today? What are you indulging yourself in to satisfy the temporary at the cost of the eternal? I, I want to encourage some of you, get alone with God. Ask His forgiveness for harboring values and feelings and thoughts that are contrary to His Word, that are not what He wants for you. But then ask Him for an outpouring of His Holy Spirit to strengthen and enable you to live a life that glorifies Him. A life that brings the power of heaven to your backing. Because when we live to please Him, all of heaven begins to back our every move. What posture do you have today? Is it a posture of surrender? A posture where Jesus is allowed absolute access to every part of your life. It's the only way to absolute success, fruitfulness and breakthrough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your presence in this place. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that it won't have gone forth unfruitful today, but it will accomplish what you desire in this house. You know, every heart that has heard what has been said today you know what's been said and what they need to receive from what's been said. And I pray that you would bring revelation and insight and understanding, Lord, from everything that's been said to meet whatever need or challenge or storm is being faced by every individual in this place right now. Just while your eyes are closed, your head's about. Maybe, just maybe you've come into the meeting today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Maybe you've come into the meeting today, you've never, you've never surrendered your pain to Him. Let me tell you something. The Bible calls Him the great physician. Jesus Himself said, it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. And you might have come in today and you might have made yourself sick with anger. You might have made yourself sick with resentment, sick with bitterness, sick with, with um, hatred and frustration in your life. You, you might be indulging in things today that, that are not what God ultimately wants for your life. But you've come in to the meeting today and you thought, I, I really need this Dr. Jesus to come and do a work in my life. You know, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who begins a good work in you will bring it to perfection. And today I want to offer you to step into the start of Him doing a great work in your life. What He starts, He will complete. What He commits to, He will fulfill. If you've walked into the meeting today while eyes are closed, heads are bowed, and you've, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, but, but something has spoken to you today and you say, I want Jesus to come into my life. I want you to raise your hand right where you're sitting. No one's going to see it. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again. I'll just know to pray for you. There's someone today. 
You want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Saviour. I want you to raise your hand very quickly in this closing moment. Hold it up high so I can see it and then I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down again. Thank you, sir. Down the back there, you can put your hand down. Someone else, you want to join this man? He's saying, I, I, I want Dr. Jesus to come into my life and start that work of restoration, healing, rebuilding. Very quickly, this closing moment, you someone else, you want to join this man today? Raise your hand up nice and high. Thank you. Someone else. You want Jesus to, to fill your life and be the Lord of your life. It's not just about praying a sinner's prayer. You raise your hand up nice and high and I'll know to include you in this prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But you want to join these two people right now. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I thank you for these three people that have raised their hand. These three adults that are sitting right now in an atmosphere where your presence is strong and real. But in an atmosphere where they're saying, Jesus, I want a taste of your kingdom. I, I want what you're offering today. I pray today that these three people will come to the Father through a surrender to Jesus Christ as their Lord. Again, Lord, I, I declare in this place that You are the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through You. And these three people today are saying, Lord, they wanna come through You, the doorway into the sheepfold. We're gonna pray this prayer together, but those three people who raised their hand, I want you to pray this right out of your heart, but let's all pray this to help them. Lord Jesus, I come to You this morning to surrender my life. I surrender my journey, every experience I've had, both good and bad, I surrender it to You. And I ask You today to forgive me of all my sin. Wash me clean in the blood of Jesus. And I pray today that You will become the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, you will help me follow Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.